Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Remember I told you in Timothy that those people wondered from the faith. Eat, drink, and be merry is not a servant of the Lord. Now we can eat, and we can drink, and we can have joy, but it has to be as we serve people, as we minister to people. So striving after wealth is a very great danger because it causes us to neglect the real life, which is spiritual. American culture is all about pleasure. Do what makes you feel good seems to be some people's mode of living. More stuff, more vacations, more, more, more. And yet, when you peel back the facade, you find misery, dissatisfaction, despair. Why is there such a huge spread between the image and the reality? Pastor Mark will be telling you in his teaching today, you'll find that the nature of mankind isn't to pack as much pleasure and self-focus into life as possible. You're built for something else. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 13 as he begins his message, Ah, Contentment. Hebrews chapter 13. Let me set the stage for you and put you right in the middle of it. I make an announcement to all of you that live in Brevard County that because you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ, everything you have as an asset has been seized by the government. And the government is allowing you to live in your home, but all your savings is gone. All your retirement is gone. Your wages have been cut in half because you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Your home is not yours. It is now owned by the government. Would it change your life? If you went home tonight, your home is not yours. Your apartment is not yours. You have zero savings. Your income has been cut in half. And every retirement possibility is gone. That's really what the book of Hebrews is about. It's small homes. Home churches. Of people who have said... We're leaving Judaism. We're going to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Did it cost them? The scenario I just gave you is part of the kind of scenario that took place with them. 
They were undergoing incredible persecution. They were discouraged. So much so that many of them were thinking, oh, wait a minute. It was a lot better before the government stepped in because of my stand for Jesus Christ. So some of them were thinking of going back. Paul would write the book of Hebrews to them for lots of reasons. But I think he comes to an area that we have to be honest with ourselves. It's an area that's hard for us in the United States because we're very rich. Compared to most of the world, we're incredibly rich. And so when we study these two verses, I want you to think about that scenario that I just started with. And then halfway through, I'm going to give you the scenario of what it's going to look like during the tribulation. Prayerfully, none of us will be here, but how that's going to work. So as you turn to Hebrews, if you'll just look at verses 5, We'll start with that one. Here's what Paul wrote. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Easy for us to read that now. A little more difficult if the scenario I gave you was true. You see, if you went home in this scenario I just gave you, everything you've had is gone. You might meditate on this verse, wouldn't you? You and I'd look on it very differently because, well, it looks like that could never happen to us. But be careful. We are in uncharted waters. We don't know what's going to happen or where our money could be safe. I was talking to one of the stockbrokers today, and he said, I've never seen it like this in my life. So these verses have great relevance to us. Look at verse 5. Notice Paul doesn't say, keep your lives free from money. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. So I want to give you the first command. I'll give you two commands and a few other things to write. Command number one. You keep your life free from the love of money. See, I can't keep your life free. I have to keep my life free. Because it's my money, my wife and mine. It's your money. So the responsibility isn't for a church to say to people, you do that. It's for you, God speaking this to us. Now money, what's the deal with the money? Our economy, our world is really fueled by this money monster. 
The whole goal of a money monster is advertising. The whole goal of advertising is to say to you and I, you don't have the latest, you don't have the best, you need this, you deserve this. And of course, the sequence goes something like this. We see it, we like it, we desire it, we have to have it, we charge it. That's the way our world operates. That's why we've gotten in trouble. Now, Singapore, Asia, China, India, Hong Kong, it's amazing. All the latest little phones and the latest this and the latest TV and the latest computers. And I was looking at computers like this that are unbelievable. So the money monster is alive. Of course, that's fed over to us. And when you go there, we have to be very careful because it's simply about more stuff. So the key is not necessarily stuff. It's the love of this stuff or the love of money. Now turn with me to 1 Timothy. We'll be back to Hebrews in a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let me just say this to you. You know it. I just finished a premarital counseling session, and it's a normal thing that we go through. If you've never understood this, you need to understand that money is power. And when we look at our political system today, why do you think you have the announcements when Obama and Clinton were going, Obama is raising 10 times the amount of Clinton money she was? Why do you think that's important? Because money is, say it with me, power. Did it work? It worked. You see, it's an amazing thing. And that's why when we do premarital, for instance, if a couple says, well, I'm going to have my money and she's going to have her money. And I say to them, sorry, but we won't marry you. Why? Because they have to become one and their money has to become one. You can't have the struggle because money is power and you can't have that division in the home. Well, Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So understand, money in itself is not the problem. It's that love. And it's actually money is neutral. It's simply neutral. But our motive with that money is the issue. Do you know that a homeless person or a bankrupt person can still love money? So these verses apply to every person, whether rich or homeless or bankrupt. They're not just for the rich people, but they're also for the poor people. Amazingly, we have this concept of rich and poor, and we have it wrong. Very often, rich people, we think rich people are small-hearted, and poor people are generous. But it can be the opposite. How does it change? Because of the person's heart. You can be very rich and be incredibly generous, or you can be very poor and be incredibly generous. It depends on our heart. So money can be used as a great investment in the church, because money helps us what? To get people 
for salvation. It's not the key. Obviously, the Word of God is. But how would we even open this place without money? Well, you couldn't. So it is a thing that money can use. But notice here, money can destroy a person by becoming their God. And that's what this verse says. All of a sudden, it's not just about fighting between a husband and a wife, or this or that or the other, a boss and an employee. Now it's moved over into the spiritual area of our life. And that's because money becomes our God. And money as a God replaces God. And that's what happens. Now, Ecclesiastes 5.10 tells us a little bit about money. How much is enough? Somebody asked John D. Rockefeller once how much money he wanted. He said, I just want a little bit more. You're familiar with that, aren't you? By the way, nobody look at me like, well, I'm, I'm perfectly content. Because our nature is not to be content. Our nature is to be discontent. That's the old sin nature. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money, Solomon says, will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. But what does the world think? It brings happiness. So do we very often. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> Anybody that ever moved from north to Florida knows what that happens. All of a sudden, you have relatives you've never seen before, especially not in the summer, but in the winter. They come to see you. Notice, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Wise man. Will wealth bring fulfillment and happiness? The answer to that is no. Next thing you want to write is simply this. Wealth and possessions cannot bring satisfaction. Easy to write, hard to struggle with. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said it like this in Luke. Then he said to them, watch out, be careful, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consists in the abundance of his possessions. I want you to write this next statement down, and we're going to talk about it. It's very difficult to have wealth and not trust in it. It's incredibly difficult to have wealth and not trust in it. You see, for much of the world that has no wealth, they have no problem with this at all. It's not an issue to them. Turn with you to Mark chapter 10. And we'll go down to verse 23. Jesus knew this statement. He knew this principle well. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he came to this earth, we hear these statements like, he didn't have a place to lay his head. And that's because Jesus, he knew the riches on this earth didn't mean anything. Everything he needed, God would provide his father. And when he left the earth, he would be back in heaven where, obviously, there's paradise. So Jesus would begin to warn us about our hearts. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How easy it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Is that right? But many people think that. Jesus said exactly the opposite. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Remember in Jewish time, if you were rich, it was a sign of God's favor. And they're so, so they're saying to Jesus, what are you saying to us? And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus said again that very same statement, and then he explained it. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Well then, who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Why did Jesus know that people with wealth would have a hard time maintaining a relationship that was vibrant with God? Because of this very fact. People with wealth trust in their wealth. And that's why I open, is your worth, is your contentment, is your joy, is your satisfaction in possessions? 401k, your home, your car, your bank account, your income. Most people in our country are net worth. That becomes our God. That's exactly what Jesus says. See, most people think more wealth, more secure. By the way, in the last few weeks, has that proven true? Exactly the opposite. We all of a sudden finding there's no security. You go and it's not there. It's devalued. So then in Luke 12, you don't need to turn there. Look at this. Then he said, I know I'll tear down this rich man. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and my other goods. And I'll sit back. My translation Secure, got it made, life's taken care of, $5,000 a month for the rest of my life, guaranteed, everything else is paid off, no debt. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for many years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Understand, eat, drink, and be merry is not a servant of God. But what was Florida built around? If you went to St. Petersburg 25 years ago in St. Petersburg, 30 years ago, you found green benches. The green benches were a sign of what? People that had wealth, and they came to Florida to do what? Eat, drink, and be married. Because they what? They retired. And they had a good retirement, and they were set for life. How many people today that are working in industry have a great retirement to look forward to? Did you see the news recently? More and more parents now 
are moving back in with their kids when they get to retirement age. Why? They don't have any money. Linda and I kind of joked last night, which one are you going to and which one am I going to? <laughs> I hope my kids aren't listening because they'll probably I'll get an email or something, whatever. So we said, we'll pay them back. I'm going to go with here and you're going to go with there. They wouldn't like it. We wouldn't like it. We've done there, been there, had that, forget it. But why is that happening? That was on the news yesterday. Why are all those people moving back in? Because they have nothing to be secure with. So this man thought he had it made. But notice the last statement. But God said to him, not you wise investor, but you fool. You will die this very night, and who will get everything you work for? Next, the love of money can cause spiritual decline and unfruitfulness. Unfruitfulness. Remember I told you in Timothy that those people wandered from the faith. Eat, drink, and be merry is not a servant of the Lord. Now we can eat, and we can drink, and we can have joy, but it has to be as we serve people, as we minister to people. So striving after wealth is a very great danger because it causes us to neglect the real life, which is spiritual. It's not man. You remember Mark 4.19? But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in, and what happens in that person's life? Choke the word, making it unfruitful. God knew the danger of wealth without a love for him. He knew our sinful nature would simply take this wealth and replace God. We would never say in the United States, our security is in our wealth. Even believers, we're going to say our security is in God, but we really don't live that way. And that was the scenario in the book of Hebrews. They were having to really face it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're talking about our possessions. And by the way, let me remind you that there's nothing wrong with possessions. The Bible says God gave us all things richly to enjoy. So you don't have to look at somebody as you drive out of the parking lot. They will look at the car they got, look at the car I got, and they can't be very godly. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with our love. It has to do with our love. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14. Notice what God warned the Israelites about. Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, and his venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God. In his teaching today, Pastor Mark reminded you that God's not opposed to money. 
but he doesn't want money to become the main focus of your life. You learned, though, that the world system is oriented around getting more and more stuff and to tease you into becoming dissatisfied with what you have. The biblical view is to learn to become content with what you have. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching, ah, contentment. He'll keep making the case for the biblical idea of contentment. You'll hear about the life of Jesus, the role model for Christ followers. You'll see how God provided everything Jesus needed, even though Jesus had no earthly possessions. You'll learn how to take on the attitude towards stuff that Jesus had. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a herd.